Hi, this is Vicki. Before we get started, I just want to make a note that as with every new series we start, whether here on Yeah, That Can't Be Good or on the 13th Warehouse, we have this curse of the new series, which usually we have issues with the audio, which in this series we certainly did. We finally did get the audio situated, but unfortunately it wasn't until after episode six. So I wouldn't recommend wearing headphones or earbuds until you hit episode 6.5. Sorry for the inconvenience. I hope you stick with us anyway. Hi, and welcome to Yeah, That Can't Be Good, the Wonderfalls edition with me, Vicki, and my co-host, Doug Gramley. Now, here's Doug, not Doug Gramley, with a podcast disclaimer. Yeah, That Can't Be Good is a frequent line used by Sheriff Jack Carter in the original subject of this podcast, the sci-fi original series Eureka, and is not intended as commentary on any of the series covered here. Let's get going! And this is Doug with the IMDB credits for Wonderfalls Season 1, Episode 1, Wax Lion, series created by Brian Fuller and Tom Holland, story by Tom Holland and Brian Fuller, teleplay by Brian Fuller, and directed by Tom Holland. Original air date March 12th, 2004. So we're back with Wonderful Season 1, Episode 1, Wax Lion. So this is your first time through this series, so what did you think of this episode? You know, I think I told you that I had a hard time, like, after I watched it, trying to figure out what the point of the show was. Right. But then, like, the more I thought about it, I, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, good. Um, I like the main character. What's her name? Jay. Yeah. I liked her character. I think I, she's very relatable. You know, she's got, like, this, I hate my life. But I'm not um, going to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I know exactly how she feels. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. This is one of those series. I don't know if Fox still does this, but Fox would just put on a new series and cancel it within like a few episodes. It never gave anything a chance. Yeah. And I don't know how many episodes actually aired. I think it was only like three or four. Okay. They did put the whole season out on DVD. So a lot of the episodes that we'll be watching were unaired. Probably more than half. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like, everything I read after after watching the first episode, because I had never heard of the show before, and everything I read was all, like, very positive reviews. Yeah. So I'm surprised that it didn't last very long. I'm curious how the rest of the, the series goes. It was kind of around, and I'm going to say a bad word to Doug Gramley, but it was kind of around that Firefly era when Fox yeah. would just cancel stuff like Firefly. That and I can understand why I did. <laughs> in case people don't know, Doug Gramley's the only person in the world who doesn't like Firefly. I just uh, didn't understand it. It's nothing to understand. It's a space show. <laughs> what are you trying to understand? Space Cowboys. Well, that was my fault. I called him that, and that put a damper on the whole series for him. The way we're going to do this is the way we did the end of Eureka. We'll just do a really small recap and then just talk about what we liked or didn't like or whatever. But because this is the pilot, we will go sort of scene by scene. But continuing on, we'll just do the quick recap and just talk about what we liked, we didn't like, what we thought was important. So we'll start with the Maid of the Mist story. You know the story they tell at the beginning? Yeah. So I looked it up. And as you might be able to guess, there are many variations of the story. But I read that one of the tour companies in Niagara Falls used a version during their tours that included made-up tales of human sacrifice and more, which sounded like this story. 
so it's not a true story? Well, it's legend, but there's a million different versions of it. Right. The way they tell the story in the show sounds like the one that this core line, they made up a story that included human sacrifice, which was not a thing. And according to the commentary, they were made to stop using that story. And oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. But I didn't realize that the show used that variation of the story until later, you know, because I didn't really ever listen to it. I knew it was a, a legend about Niagara Falls. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I always enjoyed listening, like hearing kind of legends like that. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, had assumed that it was it was true. Like most legends, I'm sure it's based in fact somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure at some point, somewhere down the line, somebody went over the waterfall. Right. You know, that wasn't supposed to, and <laughs> that's how the whole thing got started. But Right. So the first character we meet is Jay. I don't know if I want to call her an underachiever, but she kind of is. And she's working at a souvenir store in Niagara Falls. When we were talking about it off air, you asked me why she had rich parents and lives in a trailer. And yeah. I think you've already like come to your own conclusions about that. But my thoughts were that I think she's supposed to be the rebellious child, but she's in a family of overachievers. And she seems depressed most of the time, but doesn't seem to want to change her life. And it kind of almost seems like a screw you to her family. But her family kind of seems to have created this by making her out to be the problem child. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. As we move on in the series, we'll see that most of her family has an issue or two each. But it just seems like as long as they have a good career or are going to school, that's all that matters. So they could have all their issues and hide them. Right. It's like she seems to want to rebel against her family, although she doesn't seem to be happy either. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, it's, it's hard to figure out what she's looking for in life, you know? Right. Like she's got, uh, you know, she's got this good degree. She's got, obviously... You know, there's there's wealth backing her. I'm sure if she really wanted to, she could ask, uh, you know, her parents could cut her a check and, and she could, you know, do whatever she wants. But, yeah, I think it's part, you know, being rebellious and just having this animosity towards her family. And the other part is just, you know, maybe she's just kind of lazy and, and satisfied with where she is. Right. When she talks about her life, that's what she makes it sound like. But... I don't know. I think she's carrying the, the rejection of her family too far. Yes, I think she's lazy. But I, I feel like she does this to give an F.U. to her family. And she's willing yeah. to do that, whether it makes her happy or not. Yeah, you know, I've woken up in the morning and just had that feeling of, I just really don't care anymore. Right. You know, and I think um, she seems to be, you know, carrying that on no matter what but then you know they, you know, later on in the episode when she gets passed over like right. the manager position I guess right she did seem like she was annoyed by that yeah and it doesn't make sense if you're looking at her character the way I guess maybe she wants people to perceive her it doesn't make sense and I absolutely wrote that down in my notes by the way the mouth breather now my boss should have seen my mother when she found out looked like she just dried her face with Margaret Wayne's gym towel <laughs> I actually enjoy telling her. Of course you did. You're spiteful. No. No. And when her high school classmate comes in, she seems a little annoyed. Not annoyed. Like disgusted with this person, obviously. Yeah. Oh my God, so much has changed since high school. Check it out. Zach's such a good one. He loves the group in Niagara, so 
I'm picking up a few souvenirs. I guess I should call them tchotchkes now that I'm Jewish. Converted for love. So you don't really believe in it. <laughs> Stop. But she also seems a little embarrassed. Did you get that? Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it, there's like a conflict going on there for sure. Yeah. So how about you? Did you end up overeducated and unemployable like you said in the yearbook? Yep. Went to Brown, got a philosophy degree. Now I work here. <laughs> really? Your parents must to plots. They're happy if I'm happy. Are you happy? You are the manager, right? You know, where she likes to come across like she doesn't care what people think, but then there's, there's definitely a part of her that does. She is somewhat embarrassed. That's what it looked like. I mean, she was kind of disgusted with the girl, which I don't blame her. But she, there seemed to be a little bit of embarrassment. So Jane works with Alec the mouth breather. Right at the beginning, like we just said, he beats Jane out of an um, assistant manager position. And he's your typical kiss-ass employee who thinks he's all that when someone yeah. makes him, you know, the shift manager. You know, when you mentioned that Fargo was in this, I was looking for him, you know, the entire episode. And it just didn't register that that was him. He just looks so different. And I don't know when this was filmed in relation to Eureka. I think uh, it was just like two years. Two years before? Yeah. This aired in 2004, and I think Eureka started in 2006. I think I watched this first. Yeah, obviously it came out first. So I didn't know who Neil Grayson was. Yeah. It wasn't until later. And I don't even think when I watched Eureka, I realized that was him in Wonderfalls. I think I just read it, and then I was like, oh yeah, wow. But I think his character really didn't bother me. I don't know if I... if. I wasn't really focused on him all that much, but I, I didn't think that his character was all that bad. I mean, like, I, I've worked in retail, and I, I, I've, I've had really, really annoying co-workers before <laughs> that you're just constantly rolling your eyes at them, and he just didn't seem like it was that terrible. And maybe that's part of her issue, is that she does seem to have this animosity towards him. It's not that bad. No, he isn't. He's an, he's an annoyance. Right. He's not like her nemesis. Yeah, you know, I haven't watched any of the other episodes yet, so yeah. I don't know if, if they punch it up a little bit moving forward, but there isn't, like, a really strong conflict between the two of them. No, it's yeah. just an annoyance. So later at the fountain, she almost chokes to death eating her lunch. So this, I guess, is where her, I don't want to say visions, well, could be, yeah, whatever, whatever's happening. This is where it starts. So I don't know if it's like because she had a near-death experience or throwing the quarter in the fountain or both. Because there seems to be something with that quarter. It's always shining. Yeah. Then we get to the wax lion. Word of advice, don't give her money back. So the wax lion comes out of a machine that deformed. And it decides to speak to Jane as she's dealing with an obnoxious customer. It tells Jane not to give any money back. Don't. Told you. But she does give the customer the refund, and as soon as the customer makes it out of the door, someone grabs her purse. Yeah. And her mother happens to call her after all of this, and, you know, Alec is timing her personal call, and Jane faints. Your mother's on the phone. She wants to speak to you. We're allowed two minutes for personal calls. So, I don't know how it is in your family, but the girl fainted. The whole family's there. She fainted. She's fine. Oh, yeah, no. I, I think that would have been the same. I mean, maybe not for me. I think if I faint, you know, if anything happens to me, no one gives it a second thought. But, you know, maybe my sister or, you know, something like that. I think everyone, <laughs> you know, drops what they're doing. I just found that hilarious. I mean, she fainted. 
So it's kind of apparent that these people all think Jane has mental health issues. It's apparent her sister doesn't get along with her. And her brother just thinks she's disturbed just because she lives in a trailer. She lives in a trailer. She must be disturbed. Yeah. The mouth breather at the store said she went pale, twitched a couple of times, and passed out. He called it a sode, short for episode. I'm fine. Sweetheart, you're not fine. You had a sode. Did anybody examine her? A very handsome paramedic said he couldn't find anything physically wrong. A paramedic is not qualified to tell you that nothing is wrong. It's not physical, it's emotional. She lives in a trailer park. Clearly she's disturbed. I mean, clearly. I think we should put her down. It is just like going to sleep. So this is the family she's dealing with, so I could kind of see how she wants to rebel or just wants to do nothing. I don't even want to call it rebelling, because she's just doing nothing. Her family doesn't seem to care as much as you would expect. No, it's a weird dynamic. Her mother almost seems like she's just looking for something to be wrong with her. And I don't know if she wants to make sure something's wrong with Jane because she needs the attention, or if she can convince people and Jane that her daughter has a mental illness, then in her mind, there's a reason why Jane is acting that way. And it's not as embarrassing to her as just having a daughter who's living in a trailer. Yeah. The mother's confusing to me. I agree, yeah. They're not having like an intervention with her saying, you know, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, I think they're looking for an excuse as to why she is the way she is. Yeah. But they're not pushing to help her. Right, right. They're just, I guess, content with their reasoning as to why she is how she is. And it almost just seems like just for what other people think. You're right. They don't seem to be trying to help her. They're just trying to come up with, you know, a reason for what's going on. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space. The Final Frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, the Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicki over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. Attention Warehouse fans. Kim and Vicky continue on with the warehouse theme on the 13th Warehouse with Friday the 13th, the 1988 television series. Follow Mickey, Ryan, and Jack as they hunt for cursed antiques sold by Uncle Lewis to unsuspecting and sometimes suspecting patrons of his antique shop. So stick with us on the 13th Warehouse for Friday the 13th, the series. You can listen to the 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So I always wondered why she would bring the lion home with her. But it almost looked like she was surprised to see it in her room. So maybe they just all picked up everything that she had when they brought her home. The quality of the the video that I was watching wasn't great. It was on YouTube, so it wasn't very good quality. And I was was watching on my computer. So I missed a lot of the detail when she was talking with the lion. I think that took something away from the, the episode for me because I couldn't really make out the lion's face. 
I, I don't know if there, you know, part of it was reading the reaction on the lion and seeing the face and seeing the deformity of the figure, but I, you know, the quality was just too bad. I couldn't really make out any of that. I, so I, I might have to go back and watch it on the DVD just to see. Yeah, I guess I, I could see that taken away from it a little bit. So she gets shipped off to see Dr. Ron, who's her mother's psychiatrist, and the brass monkey on his desk starts to talk to her. Perfectly normal. When's the last time you told your sister you loved her? I don't know how you did things in your family, but we weren't raised that way. I love you. Dr. Ron brings up the friction between her and her sister. And see, that's why I thought she fixed up her sister, because the doctor brought up there's friction. But I guess she just did it because of the lion. Because she thought that's what she was supposed to do. Yeah. She also steals the monkey from his office. So when she meets her friend Mahandra, is that how it's said? Mahandra? Yeah, I think so. Later at the bar where she works, she tells her about the monkey, sort of, and seeing their old classmate and how she lost the assistant manager position and that she fainted. So her friend says her disappointing her family is like an extreme sport, which is true. Like, she does it on purpose, obviously. You're spiteful in a way the definition of spiteful doesn't quite prepare you for. Oh, don't drop your jaw at me. Disappointing your family is an extreme sport for you. Well, just look at them. They all work really hard every day and they're dissatisfied. I mean, I can be dissatisfied without hardly working at all. Hmm. And now you're hardly working for a mouth breather who's still in high school. And I say that without judgment. So then Jay notices the new bartender, Eric's phone keeps ringing, but he won't answer it. And then he tells her he came there on his honeymoon six days ago, caught his wife cheating on him with the bellman, and never left. Yeah. Don't you have work in New Jersey? I'm pretty sure they're going to fire me when I don't show up. That's awesome. You know, I've been thinking. I'm almost numb enough to start something on the rebound. What do you say? Sweet of you to offer, but I may be clinically insane. You might want to hold out for someone a little more stable. I don't think that would be as interesting. So obviously this is going to be the relationship of the series. So the next day, the UPS guy, who was at the beginning of the episode and was sitting in the bar behind Jabe while she's talking to the bartender the night before, comes in. And at the beginning of the episode in here, it seems like he's attracted to her. Is that correct? Yeah, I thought that they were attracted to each other. Did you? See, she completely ignored him at the beginning. Yeah, I, I thought she was like physically attracted to him. Yeah, see, I didn't get that. I just thought that he, he was. He was for sure. Yeah, yeah. It looked like he was kind of interested in, in and she were the eyes. Right, and she would ignore him. She wouldn't even look at him. You know, she was busy watching the Maiden of the Mist or the whatever it is. She always seemed like she was ignoring him. She would sign the thing without even looking at him. Yeah, to me, that's, you know, she's playing hard to get. Oh, okay. I didn't even take it that way. Okay. So, the lion tells her to ask him about the ring. And she yeah. does. And he reminds her that he's already told her about his divorce. And he has no idea what he did wrong. And he adds that he pawned the ring. So he told her about his divorce and she totally was like uninterested and didn't even remember it. Yeah, that's true. It's like she couldn't care less about anything except her. Yeah, yeah, right. She's too fixated on her own misery. Right. So outside, she watches him toss a quarter in the fountain and the lion says, see a penny, pick it up. So she digs the quarter out of the fountain and it was like that shiny glowing kind of quarter that she threw in the fountain. So I don't know if they're trying to tell us it's all the same quarter, 
But when she pulls it out of the fountain, the eagle on the quarter squawks. So she drops it and it goes rolling and bouncing away. And it later lands in somebody's lunch bag. And then the guy with the lunch bag takes off on his bike and throws it in the garbage. So she goes to dig it out of the garbage, but finds the obnoxious customer's purse. That was stolen early in the episode. So later at her trailer, she tries to figure out what she's supposed to be getting out of all of this. And then she starts to believe she's crazy because now she's talking back to these things. But she actually goes to try to find the purse owner's room. And after knocking on a bunch of doors, is able to find her. But the woman's bitchy and thinks that Jay was working with the purse snatcher. And they get into a fist fight and the police come and hold both of them there. I mean, she's a total bitch. Yeah. So Jay calls her sister because she is a lawyer, which I don't even know if it's mentioned yet, but she is a lawyer. But immediately the sister believes it's all Jay's fault. And Jay doesn't even really try to explain that it isn't. But during the argument, you could see that the attitude her sister has is particularly driven by Jay's behavior towards her in the past. Because she she mentioned a few things, I think, throughout the episode that she's done to her over the years. Yeah. So the sister leaves, and the daughter of the woman is standing in the parking lot and thanks her for helping find the purse. I mean, obviously the daughter knows her mother's a bitch, too. Right. So she talks to Mahandra again at the bar because she's really beginning to question her sanity. And her friend has some explanations for it all. But bottom line, she says everything has a soul and Jane is suppressing her feelings. I think it's natural to embody the world around us with consciousness. You do? Like when the Native Americans say that everything has a soul. The wind, your cell phone, the little smooshed-faced lion, they all have souls. This is all a repressed psychological response to the natural belief that everything has a soul. And what happens when you repress something? It comes back all crazy and pissed off. If you act like that little wax lion doesn't have a soul, then that little wax lion gets revenge when you start freaking out and thinking it's talking to you. So I'm not crazy. I don't know. Maybe. So the next day, her mother and Sharon come to the store to get the brass monkey she took from Dr. Ron's office. (laughs) The mother, she just, you could see why she has a bunch of insecure kids. Although we don't really know how insecure the other ones are. You know, this one, stop smoking, your fingers are yellow enough. This one, we gotta do something with your hair, you know? Yeah. It's just never anything nice. So Dr. Ron knows that she's stolen because he has a security system installed in his office. And the mother says this, and it's good to remember, because when the Olsen girl stabbed herself and tried to blame him for trying to kill her. So he installed a security camera, so he saw that Jane took it. Right. I need to talk to you about the monkey. What monkey? The one you stole from Dr. Ron's office. He'd like it back, and he's refusing to see me until he gets it, so you should take care of that right away. I didn't take the monkey. Of course you took the monkey, sweetheart. He's got it all on tape. He put a security camera in his office after that Olsen girl stabbed herself and told everyone he tried to kill her. Sharon went outside to smoke, and she's now in a conversation with the UPS man. And later, the UPS man tells Jay that her sister's hot, and the lion tells her to make me a match. He thinks your sister's hot. Make me a match. So the lion keeps her up singing all night until she agrees. This is where I was like, why did she bring this stupid thing home? Right, just, you know, leave it. If you think you're losing your mind, don't bring it home. It keeps singing until she agrees to whatever the lion wants. So Jay decides to fix Sharon up with the UPS man. I keep saying UPS, but in the show it's EPS. So Sharon's not thrilled. And she's not all that tactful about telling him that she's not interested when they're on their date. I didn't think... Yeah. And she even tells him that she's gay. But he thinks it's just a made-up excuse. Right. So meanwhile, Jay is half-explaining all of this to Eric, who doesn't seem to find any of this story outrageous because he thinks she's just kidding with the lion. But they do have a cute kind of banter going on. I think the universe is conspiring against me. The whole universe? Yeah. Not just the Milky Way or, like, planet Earth, but the entire universe. 
All of creation. It's a plot. I know that now. And what's the universe plotting? Couldn't tell you. Vanna hasn't turned over enough letters yet. I just thought that Vanna White had a big head. Me too, actually. See? Simpatico. The date ends when first Thomas asks Jay if Sharon's really gay. Before they get anywhere with that, he has to be rushed to the hospital due to a peanut allergy. Jay asks Sharon about the lesbian comment on the way to the hospital. And they have a whole kind of weird conversation about it while they're in the car with this guy who's dying or can't breathe. But the big thing is whether their mother knows about it. And, of course, she doesn't because Sharon would never tell her that. But then Sharon has to give Thomas a tracheotomy with a pen in the backseat of the car. (laughs) No, that was kind of came out and I wasn't expecting that. The medium point big round stick is he preferred pen for emergency tracheotomies. Thomas's wife shows up at the hospital because she's still his emergency contact, or his ex-wife. But she runs into Sharon first, and there's a lot of flirting going on that Jay and Thomas notice. It was pretty obvious when they both realize what's going on with Sharon and his ex-wife. Yeah. Jay says to him, well, at least you know it wasn't you. Like, as if to make him feel better. Right. But he's so pathetic that I think a lot of it was him. Part of it was, probably. But within 30 seconds... He developed this thing with the nurse. Yeah. So Sharon is there when Jay gets home. They talk about things, and Sharon wants to know what's going on. And Jay says she just doesn't know. But they do bond a little bit. So I guess that the match she was supposed to make was for her sister and not Thomas. But she needed Thomas to accomplish the end result. Although, now that I'm thinking about it, if I'm remembering correctly, because I'm not always sure I'm remembering correctly, but... If I'm remembering correctly, make me a match might mean something totally different down the line. She ends up making a match for the delivery guy anyway. Yeah, but I'm not sure that's going to go well. Yeah. It also could have been, you know, it seemed like the relationship between her and her sister kind of yeah. was like an understanding after that. So yeah. that also could have had something to do with it. Like Right. And then Eric runs into Jay at the fountain. They talk about the maiden and destiny. I don't get why she just didn't paddle to the other side of the river. I mean, it's not that far. She was surrendering to destiny. You know, the Office of Travel and Tourism did this whole surrender to destiny promotion in the 80s and... Some cult used it as an endorsement for mass suicide. Really? A bunch of them filed into the news and went over the edge. There was a lot of media coverage. Surprisingly good for business. Well, for those of us not in cults, I think there's something to be said for surrendering to destiny. If it's destiny, there's probably a reason for it. So why struggle with fate? Life can be sort of peaceful when you stop struggling. It's not like drowning that way. The next day, the EPS guy comes to visit with the nurse, and we see that there may be another issue there. But when he leaves, Jay notices somebody tossing a shiny quarter into the fountain, and this time it's a bear that gives her the same line that the lion did, see a penny, pick it up. And she thought it was over, but it isn't. And then the bear says, please don't squeeze the Charmin. So Jay goes chasing after the girl who threw the coin and is now walking away with toilet paper stuck to her shoe. So it's just pretty much telling us that this isn't over and she's going to continue to have to do whatever. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you said you liked it at the beginning, but do you have any more thoughts? Like I said, I'm just curious as to how it all plays out, like what's wrong with her. So when you explained the series to me, Mm -hmm. I kind of was under the impression like she worked in this mystical small mom and pop shop, um, you know, and there was like some magic going on that these things could talk. I did not realize that no this is like a touristy souvenir shop and she was you know just a a miserable not that she's a miserable person you know she's an underachiever yes who's just kind of stuck so i'm I'm curious as to how how this all plays out and 
and do we find out what's wrong with her? Like, is is there something mentally wrong with her, or is it, you know, is there like an health issue or something like that? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious as to how it plays out, but you know, I realized like I had never been to Niagara Falls. We've only been once. I think we spent more time on the Canadian side. Well, apparently this was filmed on the Canadian side. I wonder if that fountain is real. I'm imagining it is, right? That's what I was I was curious about. Yeah, I was reading that I think the majority of the show was filmed on the Canadian side. Okay. But it's being portrayed as the U.S. side. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'll have to look up to see if, if that whole area is, is accurate to the show. I tried to look back at my pictures, but... I don't have a lot because my computer crashed a couple years ago and I lost some of them. All the pictures that I use on the website for every episode, not that we have any up yet, but I have the pictures, are all my pictures from when we were there. But I don't remember if that fountain is real or not. It's got to be, right? Seems like it would be too noticeable for it not to be a real thing. Right. All right. So we'll be back with episode two shortly. As I told everybody in our introduction episodes, we might not be here every week, but we will finish the series. Yeah. We won't do a Fox. We won't cancel after three episodes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. So we'll see you shortly. Bye. Make me a match. Okay, DC, tell us what's next. Join us next time for season one, episode two. Come on, come eat, Nate on. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to follow us on our website, EurekaRewatch.com, on Twitter, at Eureka Warehouse, on Facebook, at Eureka Rewatch, page name, Yeah, That Can't Be Good, and on Instagram, at Eureka underscore Warehouse. Episodes of Yeah, That Can't Be Good are available on our website, EurekaRewatch.com, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for Yeah, That Can't Be Good, The Wonderfalls Edition, Gypsy Blues, provided by Paul Whitman and his orchestra, found on Pixabay, free for commercial and personal use. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. Bye.